Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sunday morning in prayer and we want to be thankful for the beautiful weather that you've given us. And yet, Lord, we want to be even more thankful for the blessed word that you have given us. And we ask that you would uh, uh, allow me to open its pages and teach simply and clearly. Yet, Lord, that we could address some of the great issues that are causing so much pain and so much division and problems in people's lives. We ask that the Holy Spirit would give us freedom to understand your word today and most importantly, know what to do about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next verse. Children dismissed to the children and toddlers churches. The rest of us, if we could turn in our Bibles to the book of Amos. The book of Amos, and if you want to put a marker in Psalm 119, we'll be going back there in just a few, in, in a little bit. But uh, Amos was a prophet. He was a shepherd. Uh, his testimony was he was a shepherd and a gatherer of sycamore fruit, uh, the wild fruit that grew in the land of Israel there as he was uh, taking care of the sheep. He would have some kind of container with him and and uh, here, I'll get that. Thank you. And um, he would gather that uh, fruit as well. It was a very menial job and uh, not one that was uh, we would call exciting or, or took much of a challenge in any way. But that, that was what his work was. And God had sent him from the land of Judah up to the land of Israel with a message. And... Uh, uh, was just reading through the book of Amos and a couple of verses uh, just jumped off the page at me. And, and I'd like for us to, to read these verses and try to uh, preach on the subject of making right wrong. Uh, that is just something that is going on in our society today, something we work very hard at as Americans to make something that is right wrong. And uh, that is what was going on in the land of Israel at this time. And, and the results were not very good. And, and, and we need to read what is in the Bible and take warning for ourselves and in our lives today. Let's just look at the two verses in question and then we'll try to pick up some context. Amos chapter 5 and uh, verse 7 Amos is speaking here to the children of Israel. This is part of his message. He says, Ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. Now, let's go to chapter 6 and verse 12. Again, uh, Amos is speaking. He says, Shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. And, and so the, uh, the understanding here is, uh, the word wormwood in the Bible uh, means bitter. It's something extremely bitter. Gall is the same thing. Uh, hemlock, of course, if you're familiar at all, is a poison. And he is condemning his people, Israel, for making judgment bitter. Now, even the word 
if I were just to step up into the pulpit and get real close to the microphone and go, judgment! Everybody goes, whatever. Because it's a harsh word. And how many times have you heard, judge not, lest ye be not, lest ye be judged. One of the most perverted verses in all the Bible. Uh, that's not what Jesus was talking about. How about this one? Well, listen. When you get to be perfect, then you can judge me. How many of you have heard that? I, I mean, this is the way people talk today. And uh, who are you to condemn me when you're not perfect? When you got problems yourself? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and say, how many of you have used those things? But I, I dare say that most of us have said one of those things at a time or another in our life. And we look at this word called judgment. And what we have to understand something is that the world in which we live is trying to change the subject and the focus of the word judgment. You see, if I stand in this pulpit and quote this book called the Bible, and you say, you have no right to be judgmental, who are you condemning? See, you're trying to condemn me because you know you can get away with that as one human being to another. But if I'm actually relaying God's message... In all actuality, what you're trying to do is curse and condemn God. Now, no person in their right mind would try to do that. But we all want an excuse. Because what happens when we come to this word called judgment? For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. You see, when we come face to face with this word called judgment, guess what? We find ourselves guilty. We find ourselves coming short of the standard. How many of you like to be reminded of all the wrong things you've done? If you're of, of that thought process, please see me after the service and we'll set up some time for counseling because you've got bigger problems than you ever thought about having. Uh, in fact, they're much bigger than you understand. Uh, God does ne has never intended for us to walk around like, well, I can't be perfect. I'll just try my best. How many of you remember out of the book of Nehemiah, what does it say? Weep not for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And yet we live in a world that is so tolerant of every aberrant and perverse behavior that the only person that is not tolerant is one that will still hold up the Bible 
and say, hey, that's still wrong. You know what? God hasn't changed His words. And, and, and as we delve into this this morning, I'd like you to think a little bit about world history. You see, man is not very original. He's quite repetitive, in fact. And you can study the history of every great civilization. And every one of them has ended up in ruins. The great people that built uh, those cities high in the Andes Mountains in South America. And, and we have no idea how they did that. Took stones weighing dozens of tons and cart them up to 10 and 12 and 14,000 feet and built cities up there. How do you do that? And the reason we know that they didn't cut the stone locally is because you can look at the stone and you can look at what's under the ground and it doesn't match. How in the world did these people do these things? And yet you go up there today and it's a group of people that can hardly communicate in any language whose main source of nourishment is a home brew of uh, some type of between alcohol and narcotic made with their own spittle. I mean, how did a people that built these great cities reduce themselves? And yet, we can walk down the streets of our cities today and find people who used to be Wall Street bankers, who used to be big businessmen, literally sleeping in the gutters of our city. Why do people do that? Could I challenge you? The reason that happens to societies, to individuals, and yes, I'll tell you it happens in churches too, is because they take this word called judgment and they paint a picture of a God who is mean and cruel and just wants to tell you everything that's wrong. That's what it means in the book of Amos when it says you've made judgment wormwood. You've made God's judgment bitter. How many of you have ever been told something you didn't want to hear by a doctor? You've got a disease. You, you have got a, a growth inside your body and we're going to have to go in and take it out. And if we don't, you're going to die. Don't you think that doctor's being rather judgmental? How many of you say, but pastor, if he, if he isn't that way, they'll never attack the disease and I'll die. I want to live. So I, I don't, well, wait a minute. How much more important is your spiritual well-being than your physical well-being, my friend? You see, we don't think about that because we can't see it. Maybe we'll take time for a silly little joke I like to tell. You heard about the mechanic that went to the doctor? Some of you remember the joke. And the mechanic's sitting there going, Doc, I can't understand this bill. This is crazy. You just look at me and talk to me. You do a little operation, you guys get 
all these thousands of dollars. He said, these new cars that we have out, they've got computers. and they've, He said, they're just as complicated as human body. Why do you get so much more than I do? And the doctor patiently looked over at him and said, I have to work on it while it's still running. But you see, what God wants to do is He wants to work on things that only He can see. You can't. And what we need to understand here is that we live in a world that wants to remove judgment because they want to take what's wrong and they want to make it right. And when you do that, you take what's right and you have to make it wrong. And so, I've heard people say, well, the worst thing in the world today is dogmatics. If you just weren't so sure you were the only one that was right, things would be so much better. Excuse me? Um, We've done a lot of structural rehabilitation at the Union Baptist Church in Brooklyn over this summer. And you know, one thing we never argued about with the engineer was using good-grade, solid materials to rebuild the structure of the building. You know what? In fact, he was quite particular. He did not want plain threaded rod. He wanted stainless steel threaded rod because it wouldn't rust once it was in the wall. Uh, He was very particular about the different types. I said, well, can't we just take a, a, a piece of steel there and beef up the wood? And he said, no, you cannot do that because there will be condensation and things and the wood expands and contracts at a different rate in, from the steel. And he said, we really don't want to put a big heavy piece of steel against a big heavy piece of wood. He said, we want to support wood with wood, and we want to support metal with metal, and we want to keep things solid. He was really particular with us. You know why? Uh, Because there aren't two ways to engineer things. You can't have your truth when you're building a building. In fact, there were several times where I offered some ideas and he said, Oh, okay. He says, I know where you're going. He says, you can't do it that way. He says, I know you think it'll be more secure if you take something that is this way and take this and put them together. He said, but it doesn't work that way. And you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. We'll we'll do it your way because you're the engineer. You see, he's supposed to know how to fix a building. Amen? And when it comes time to fix our lives, what's the last thing we want? Some stupid preacher waving a Bible telling me that it's wrong. Wait a minute. Let's read the words of Amos one more time. Let's go back to chapter 5 of the book of Amos. And let's, let's pick up a little bit of context here. Let's start in verse 4. 
of chapter 5, it says, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel, who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. Seek him that maketh the seven stars in Orion and turneth the shadow of death into morning and maketh the day dark with night that calleth for waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name that strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. They hate him that rebuke in the gate and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. For as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor, and ye take from him burdens of wheat, and ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink the wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil, and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate, that it may be that the Lord of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Now, this is just part of Amos' message. But in his rebuke, he says, you've turned judgment to bitterness. It's in verses 4, 6, 8, 9, and then in verses 15, 14 and 15 of this short passage. The children of Israel, through the prophecy of Amos, are told to seek God. And they're given reasons to seek God. They're given reasons to Embrace his judgments. And yet we know that didn't happen. Amos was from Judah and one of the priests at Bethel. And you have to understand, this is one of the reasons why we go through all the Bible stories at our 1030 time. We call it through the Bible. is because you might not understand what it means, go not at Bethel. Well, the word Bethel means the house of God. That was a place where Jacob worshipped God. That's where he saw the vision. He had built an altar there. But guess what happened? How many of you remember the story of Jeroboam? He was the first king after the division between the empire. And he took Bethel and he put a golden calf there, very similar to the one they worshipped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And he said, this is your new God, Israel. You don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. Here it says, Bethel shall come to naught. Well, there was already a prophet that said there was going to be a king in Judah by the name of Josiah who was going to destroy Bethel. And you know what? He did. Hadn't done it at this time yet. But he desecrated Bethel so that no one would ever 
use those altars to worship false gods again. You see, where the children of Israel were supposed to go to find the truth was to Jerusalem. But you see, nobody can live up to the standard of God's righteousness. God is so judgmental. He's so harsh. Uh, I, I've heard people over the years say, Oh, the, but that narrow way is so narrow, Pastor. There's no way I can stay in that narrow way. And that develops into a hatred of those that stand and tell the truth. And I want to challenge you. Look at our news media today. The most vehement diatribe that goes on in the news media today are reserved for people who will stand up and say, you're wrong. And yet, God's judgment was never meant to be bitter. I, I've tried to help people understand over the years. People say, well, how can a God of love make a place called hell? Well, it's very simple. Hell is non-topical to the human race. If you'll accept what Jesus did to keep you out of there. You see, Jesus has already done everything so that you do not need to endure the judgment of God. How many of you love that song, Blessed Assurance? That's one of my most favorite songs in all the hymn books. You know, most people who call themselves Christians can't sing that song. Because in reality, it's blessed assurance, Jesus is mine most of the time. When I'm doing good and when things are fine, you know. But I want to challenge you, Jesus is not only God when things are good. That his judgments are there to tell us the difference between right and wrong. Yes. Where would we be? Where would we be if uh, the... Um, oh, what is the name of that group? I keep getting it all confused. The lawyers that go around and, and uh, sue people for having manger sets and... And, and, and all that stuff, uh, they just hate God. They try to get God removed from everything. They're all the time suing people and stuff. But and anyway, what kind of world would this be if they were actually in charge? You know, there's a time back when uh, in, in American politics... Does anybody here remember the uh, Congressional Post Office scandal? Uh, that was where they had a post office there at the House of Congress. 
And you would go, and uh, if you were a senator or congressman, uh, you could uh, write a check and buy stamps to mail your campaign uh, letters and things. But it worked into a money laundering scheme where you could take tens of thousands of dollars that you weren't supposed to have personal access to and write it. You know, you know how you get cash back at the grocery store? Well, that's what the Congress people were doing, only it wasn't 20 and $60 out of your bank account. It was tens of thousands of dollars out of someone else's, uh, out of their campaign funds. And that was a great big thing, and, 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 and most of you don't even remember it. You know why? Because somebody came along and said, all you Republicans want to do is put Democrats in jail. Well, see, now they changed the focus of the argument. It was no longer money laundering and thievery. It was Republicans hate Democrats. Now, the fact that the ratio of Democrats to Republicans involved in the scandal was about 9 to 10, I mean 9 to 1, uh, has no influence on the fact that Republicans hate Democrats, right? Could we get some actual understanding of life here this morning? The world always wants to change the focus of the conversation. They'll say things like, well, that's your truth. Excuse me, I can't own truth. And if you own truth, it becomes a lie the moment you take it off the shelf and pay the price for it. Because truth is truth no matter what you do to it. You cannot buy and sell. Well, you can Our nation has bought truth with the life of its soldiers over the years. Amen? And we've sold truth for prosperity. But we need to understand something. Judgment is not a mean word. A judgment is simply the difference between what is right and what is wrong. We use judgment in a very particular way in almost every part of our life. How many of you have ever brought the, bought, purchased the wrong ink cartridge or toner cartridge for your printer? Can I challenge you? You exercise poor judgment. I've been there, done it. I hate it. Because once you unwrap it, it's yours. You can't take it back. It's a done deal. How many buildings in this wonderful city of ours all of a sudden just fall apart one day? You want me to tell you why? Because poor judgment was used in the building of that building. How many of you agree with me on that? How many of you think somebody that does that kind of stuff ought to be put in jail? 
when they purposely build a building inferior and then it falls apart and kills some, some shouldn't somebody be punished for that kind of things? I believe they ought to be. And yet, the word judgment is one of the most evil words in our language today. Because you don't have the right to tell me what to do. Well, wait a minute. I'm not taking the right. I'm just passing the message on. So if you want to get angry at somebody, you can curse me if you want, but it won't do you any good. Because the message comes from God. And you can get angry all you want, but it's not going to do you one bit of good. That's what happened in Israel. Now I want us to contrast what happened in Israel with Psalm 119. Would you turn there with me? Now, I'm going to warn you, we're going to read a lot of verses out of Psalm 119. Now, the best way to follow along is simply this. Open up to Psalm 119 and find verse 7 is the first verse that we're going to read. And we're going to read about 23 verses that deal with the word judgment or judgments in Psalm 119. Now, you see that little number 7 there? Just put your finger under that number 7 and we're going to read verse 7. And then I'm going to call out the verse and just go right down the line and or flip the page if necessary. And we're going to read several verses here. Uh, this morning, verse 7 is our first one. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. Verse 13. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. Verse 20. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments. At all times. Verse 30. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Verse 39. Turn away my reproach which I fear for thy judgments are good. Are you getting the idea of what the author of Psalm 119 thinks about God's judgments? He loves them. He embraces. He says, my heart is breaking for the longing that I have toward them at all times. He says, thy judgments are good. Verse 43, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. Verse 52, I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. How many of you have ever thought about comforting yourself from God's judgments? And yet... The writer of Psalm 119 tells us there's comfort in God's judgments. Verse 62, At midnight I will rise and give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. When's the last time anybody's tried that? Wake up in the middle of the night because you're so glad that God has judgments in his word. I dare say that probably hasn't happened very often. But it did in the life of the man who wrote this psalm. Verse 66, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Do you get what he's saying there? 
He's saying, God, I know your judgments are right, and I know that you are perfectly right in bringing difficulty into my life because of my breaking of your judgments. He says, you're teaching me to live right. Verse 84. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Verse 106. I have sworn and will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Verse 108. Except I beseech thee the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. Verse 120. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. Verse 121. I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Verse 137. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Verse 149. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me. Give me life is what the word quicken means. According to thy judgment. Verse 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me. Again, give me life according to Thy judgments. Three more. 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. 164. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. 175. Let my soul live, and it shall praise thee, and let thy judgments help me. Quite a different attitude in Psalm 119 than that that Amos faced as he preached about God's judgment to the children of Israel and the ten northern tribes there. We believe that David was the writer of Psalm 119. It's not actually signed and we're not sure about that, but so many things would lead us to believe that. And I want us to take a few moments here and just compare And contrast this thing. Amos took the message of God's judgment to the ten northern tribes in Israel. And they didn't listen. And those ten northern tribes were carried away by the Assyrian king Sennacherib uh, and Tiglath. uh, Actually, Tiglath Pileser was the name of the guy that actually did it. And Sennacherib came after him. And they, uh, by the way, they're still looking for the ten lost tribes of Israel. How many of you ever heard of a guy named Herbert W. Armstrong? He used to begin his TV show by picking up a telephone and going, Hello, God. Now, I'll tell you what, that's blasphemy. You can't talk to God on the telephone. You can only talk to God by faith through prayer. And he's a blasphemous, wicked, wicked man. If he believed half of what he taught, I can say with confidence that he is burning in hell today, according to the Scriptures. I do not joy over that fact. But I'd like you to understand that if you're not careful, you can end up in the same place 
than Mr. Armstrong did. He said that the ten lost tribes of Israel were Europeans, mostly English people. Uh, doesn't work. Uh, if you've ever seen those nice little gentlemen walking around, uh, I like to call them the younger elders. They're always teenagers with a little sign that says elder on their shirt. And now they have elderesses. Uh, I've, I've seen a few ladies riding bicycles around Astoria. Uh, and it, it says elder there, not elderess, but that, that would not be proper. Elder is masculine. Uh, the Mormon church teaches that the American Indians were the ten lost tribes of Israel. And a few years ago, uh, a fellow said, well, let's just check that out. Uh, and he got a few American Indians uh, to give uh, DNA samples, and he paid for the test to run, and, and some descendants, uh, some Jewish people, and, and got their DNA and, and, and ran the test, and guess what? There's no match at all. And we laugh and we say, that's silly. Yeah, well, we know where the American Indians came from. They, they came across from Asia. They're Asian people, basically. And by the way, National Geographic did some DNA testing and found out they had a match. But uh, Joseph Smith, with his golden glasses, using his Urim and Thurm to uh, interpret the writings of the angel Moroni, who was supposed to directly come from God, wasn't even close. You see, I'll tell you what happened to the ten lost tribes of Israel. A few of them had migrated south to live in the land of Judah because they were tired of the sin and the idolatry of the land of Israel. Those people that were living in the land of Israel when Amos' prophecies came to fruition have vanished from the face of the earth and you're never going to find them. Because they refused. They wanted to make God's judgments bitter and hateful and wrong when God's judgments are love and truth and peace and compassion and your only hope in this world in which we live. Now, we contrast that to David, the author of Psalm 119, as far as we can tell. Let me ask you a question. Was David perfect? No. It does not take much of a reader of the Bible. In fact, God took David's sins and recorded them on the pages of the Bible so that there would be no doubt that David had massively failed to keep God's judgments and commandments, even to committing adultery and murder. That's a terrible thing, is it not? Yet, what did God say about David? He said, he was a man after my own heart. Why? Because David was also the one that destroyed the enemy, Goliath. And David was also the one that had such a heart for building the temple that all the plans and everything was done. All Solomon had to do was follow the blueprints that David had devised. And in fact, David was the one that was promised that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. And the Jewish people are still looking for David to come. The only problem is the everlasting descendant of David has already come. 
His name is Jesus. Read Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 4. He's a direct descendant. And he will be given the kingdom of his father David forever and forever. See, I just want to challenge you to think about something. We are often influenced in ways that we are not even aware of how we're influenced. How many of you have caught yourself saying, oh, we've got to be careful about being too judgmental? I promise you I've caught myself. I want you to know that the world is trying to tell us that we need to modify the message of this book. That we need to dull the edge of the knife. How many of you have ever had surgery? I'll tell you what I have. I want a surgeon to use a sharp knife. I don't want them to use a dull one. Dull knives don't cut, they just tear. It takes twice as long to heal. God's judgments are for your healing. They are for your comfort. How many of you have ever felt like I'm the only one in the whole world that's trying to do right? Oh, wait a minute. You see, that's a problem that God has given us church to solve. Do you realize when God sent his angels into the city of Sodom, that Lot, his wife, he had two daughters in the house, and Lot went out to check his other son-in-laws to try to convince them to come out with them. So Lot had a minimum of four. Daughters, two in the house and two out. He could have had five or six out of the house. What was the number that would have averted God's judgment from Sodom? Ten. How many years had Lot lived in Sodom? Some say at least 25, almost 30 years. He couldn't even keep his own family which could have easily accounted for all ten. Because he ignored God's judgments. He stopped calling sin, sin in his own household. We've got to embrace God's judgments or we're going to end up among the numbers who make right wrong and wrong right. I can give you histories. I can give you names. My Bible college has done that. Everything they taught against when I was a student, they're now doing doing as part of their training for ministers. They no longer train music directors. They get a little team of girls and guys up on the platform to wiggle around to the music, and that, that's called a worship team. Now, when I was a kid, that went on in the bars and the nightclubs. 
not in the church. But today it goes on in church. And by the way, it's the same music. Probably not quite as good as the bands used to do it in the 60s, because if they were that good, then they'd be out doing it in the world, not in the church. You say, you sound very harsh about that. I am. You want me to tell you why? Because it's blasphemy in the sight of God. And it's laying waste God's judgments and telling us that God is wrong. We are right. I am not interested in being relevant or meeting you halfway. Here's what I'm interested in. Explaining to you about the judgments of God. Because once you embrace them, you will find it's the only thing you can hold on to in this world. We say amen to that. You will find that the only comfort that is in this world is holding on to the judgments of God. But those judgments tell me I'm wrong. Welcome to the human race. Amen? You see, Jesus died to pay the price and to take all of God's wrath so that I would not have to endure hell myself. It's time for us to surrender, embrace. That's what all those verses in Psalm 119 were talking about, weren't they? And the one said, God, how long before you judge those people that have persecuted me? How much freer would your life be if you could turn that over to God and not have to worry about getting even yourself? Whew. You see, there's a difference. And if I'll embrace God's judgment, I'll find everything the world says that I can't have. And if I reject God's judgment, I'll lose every good thing in my life. You can't compromise with the devil. But I'll tell you what you can do. Is you can take your life effort and invest it in serving God and being obedient to Him. And that's where you will find life's greatest blessings. Yea, life's greatest freedom. All of the good things that God wants to have. All the good things the world tells you you can have. You will only find them by embracing God's judgment. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, a sobering message for a sobering day. And Lord, I pray that we would stop and think and allow God's word to shake us up a little bit. The prophecy of Amos is still true and alive today. Lord, your judgments are not bitter and hateful. They're love. They're the only path to peace that we can pursue.
And Lord, we just ask that you would be with those in this auditorium today that are still dealing with the issue of salvation in their lives. That they would understand that God's judgment is only meant to bring them to Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would not be among that group that would try to make right wrong so that our wrong can be right. And instead, that we would bring our sin to a holy God and allow the payment that Jesus Christ made as He endured the judgment of God for our sins so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Lord, we ask that You would give our minds the ability to deal with these things, to think about these things, and to understand that your judgments only teach us of your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.